the Sunday Night Health Show podcast. Tonight on the program, we're talking about HIV and the importance of testing. Also going to speak about mental intelligence and strong mental fitness. New information on the number one motivator to pursue an extramarital affair. Plus, death is a part of life. So how come we have so much difficulty talking about it? How can we have positivity through grief? The Sunday Night Health Show podcast starts now. This is a subject we haven't really talked about very much, I feel. Uh, It's something we talked about in the past so often. Um, It's HIV. And there's a company called Vive Healthcare Canada who is committed to eradicating HIV. HIV uh, may progress to AIDS, acquired immune deficiency syndrome. And they are... um, helping with the importance of education and access to resources in ending this epidemic. Joining me on the line is Jean-Francois Fortin. He's the country medical director at Vive Healthcare Canada. Good evening, Jean-Francois. Good evening, Maureen. Very happy to be uh, here with you tonight. Well, thank you so much for joining me this evening. I appreciate it. First of all, let's start with, and I, I hope I've said it correctly, It's I know it's capital V, two small eyes. Uh, capital V, um, Vive Healthcare. What is Vive Healthcare or V-double-I-V? <laughs> How do you say it? Yeah, no, you had it perfectly right. Vive Healthcare, yes. So um, so we're a company uh, as part of the GSK group. So that uh, we're, um, as you mentioned, we're 100 person. And that, that's what, um, I guess, or I guess Signature, we're the, the only global, global company that's 100 person uh, invested in, you know, providing treatment and eventually cure for, for HIV. Wonderful. And also we're aiming at uh, supporting the, the efforts as well of the, the communities out there to, through different uh, programs as well uh, to help at, uh, you know, all levels. Wonderful. That's excellent. Now, um, you're focused in HIV. For the listeners, would you just remind people what HIV actually is and what is the prevalence? Yes. So HIV uh, stands for Human Immunodeficiency Virus. So as, uh, as you mentioned, it's a virus that ultimately, if not treated, uh, can co- uh, cause AIDS, the Acquired Immunodeficiency Syndrome. And uh, what's so uh, special about this virus is that it's attacking the, um, the immune cells that usually are um, the ones that are uh, responsible to protect uh, the body against uh, viral infection. So that's why over time, if untreated, really, the virus uh, weakens the immune system and uh, not only, I guess, allows uh, HIV to, to, to go unchecked, but also makes uh, the, the people suffering from HIV also, if they develop AIDS, more susceptible to a variety of other uh, diseases that otherwise would be uh, harmless. Mm-hmm. And, and who is at risk for HIV? Yeah, so... Uh, Generally, uh, you're going to be at risk. Uh, any person really that's sexually uh, active and uh, may have, um, you know, uh, an encounter with a, a new uh, a new partner, uh, may have, um, you know, relationships with with multiple partners, uh, could could be uh, could be at risk. Um, people also that may be sharing uh, using uh, intravenous uh, injectable drugs or uh, as part of the, the practice, also sharing needles uh, might also be at risk. Mm-hmm. And, and so how, 
Uh, how about people with um, getting blood transfusions? Is that has that been eradicated today? Yeah, so far, uh, you know, after um, the this, this situation that happened in the uh, late '80s, early '90s, um, with the uh, you know, I think we all remember the, the scandal of the, uh, uh, the, you know, the the transmission in, in the blood supply. Uh, a number of uh, very efficacious uh, methods have been put in place to make sure that the blood uh, supply is uh, really safe. So, um, I think that uh, that that part is really, uh, I think, a problem that's been solved. Mm-hmm. Some people may still feel that you know we did get a lot of doctors from Facebook over the pandemic. <laughs> they may feel that um, they self-educated on Facebook uh, that the blood. Um, uh, transfusions are are risky, so thank you for clarifying that. Um, what are the symptoms of HIV? Yeah, so early on, uh, there's um, a number of people, like actually, or maybe a, a small part of the people that will get infected that may not even realize. And the reason is that the the symptoms are at least at the beginning when you get the infection are rather unspecific. It's a little bit like any other. Uh, viral diseases that uh, that you can get, such as a mild uh, cold or a flu, or even we're just coming out, or we're still, I guess, on the tail of the COVID pandemic. So uh, people can get, uh, you know, fever, chills, uh, malaise, um, a little bit of swelling of the the lymph node, and um, so that's that's very general. So you have. I think in discussion with uh, if, if someone has doubt, uh, in discussion with their uh, their HCP, their their physician, uh, they, they may want to you know contextualize and see if there there's a reason to uh, suspect that you you might have uh, uh, been in contact with HIV. Mm-hmm. And so these symptoms, as you mentioned, they can be symptoms of other diseases um, or other medical conditions. And so, is it it's probably not the first thing that a medical doctor is going to think of that my patient might have HIV. And it it would also be quite shocking uh, for the patient. That's why it's very important that a doctor understand the lifestyle and the sexuality of a person. And so that, you know, you have an open, honest communication with your physician or healthcare provider. Um, Why is testing uh, important, HIV testing important? Yeah, so HIV testing is, is, is important because this, this is really um, the first uh, step in uh, really trying to block uh, really the, the epidemics. I mean, you cannot um, get uh, treatment and take, uh, take appropriate measures if, if you don't know that you have the, the disease. And for that, you have to be uh, tested. And that's really the initial step also of the, the cascade of care. So we want... Um, you know, everybody that that may may be uh, at at risk to to test on a on a regular basis so that uh, they can uh, you know be aware uh, that that they have the infection and then be uh, properly uh, treated and engage in care. Right, and so you're actually suggesting then uh, routine testing for people who may be at an increased risk versus um, waiting for people to get uh, to manifest the symptoms of HIV? Oh, yes, uh, of course. Um, it, it's been now, nowadays, um, nowadays we have, um, you know, very, very uh, efficacious 
treatment. And uh, it's really uh, yeah, it's really important now. now over time, uh, it's been uh, recognized that uh, the earlier you, you treat a person, uh, the better the, the outcome will be. Right? It's it's still to this day a, an uncurable disease. Although there's a lot of efforts done to try and, and find a cure, but as of now, uh, it is managed as a as a chronic disease. So the the moment. Um, you know, you, you know, you have the infection in discussion with uh, with the, the, the physician. That, that's when the, the proper course of, uh, of action will be established. Right. And so what treatment is available for HIV and what happens if HIV is not treated? Yeah. So as I was hinting, there's a number of highly effective treatments that are available to manage infection. And uh, these treatments now can be uh, taken orally. I think we've made a lot of progress, uh, you know, from the beginning of the uh, of the epidemics, where uh, treatments were really uh, cumbersome, uh, brought a lot of uh, toxicity, uh, adverse events, and uh, now that we have very uh, simple solution, uh, as I was mentioning, that our uh, oral treatments could be just uh, one pill once a day, or now also. Uh, currently uh, on the market in Canada, there's also uh, injectable options that can be uh, where patients can um, have a, an injection uh, every uh, every other month. So, uh, and there's more, you know, coming in the future, even longer intervals, uh, and so on. So the the research continue to really get uh, you know, more efficacious and, and innocuous treatment. And Vive Healthcare has the testing available for patients. Uh, at Vivelcare, we do not, uh, you know, provide. We're not a, as a company. We're not uh, producing or uh, providing uh, tests ourselves. Although, uh, as I was mentioning earlier, through uh, we we do have programs where we uh, help um, the community uh, organization, and that could be uh, in the form of helping them acquire tests or uh, you know put in place. Uh, programs that can help uh, engage um, with, uh, with the people they serve to, to get access to those tests. I see. And, and so how do we end the HIV epidemic and, and where do we begin? Well, I think that's why it's important uh, that we're talking tonight about testing because that's really, that's really the, the beginning, um, I guess I can say the beginning of the end. We, we got to uh, find, uh, you know, th those people that are infected and might uh, not know it. As you know, as a matter of fact, um, you know, the, in the recent um, epidemiologic survey that the, the Public Health Agency of Canada is doing on a, a more or less on a yearly basis, um, so there, there's an estimate that in Canada there's probably around uh, 64, 65,000 people living with HIV, and we estimate that there's about 10% uh, of these uh, these people that don't know about their status. So what does that mean? That means that uh, these patients, uh, these people, can um, you know transmit the disease, uh, and also that uh, you know they are at risk of evolving towards uh, you know uh, the, the the eighth stage of the disease because the, the virus keeps uh, you know destroying their, their immune system over time as long as they're they're not treated. Mm -hmm. And so you're committed to, you're a pharmaceutical company basically committed or, or focused on combating, preventing, and ultimately curing HIV and AIDS. That's your 
mission. Um, yes. And so are, so are you doing clinical trials at this time? Yes, like, um, like a, a number of other companies, we do have uh, clinical trials uh, in Canada, across the world, where we, uh, we test uh, new, um, new, uh, I guess new uh, modalities of treatment, uh, new uh, potential drugs, um, just to make sure that uh, yeah, they're, they're effective, of course, and that they're improving the, the outcomes for, for the patient. But, um, yeah, this is an area of, uh, you know, I guess, uh, intensive efforts for us, both in the, in the treatment, as, uh, as we're discussing now, but uh, you mentioned earlier as well, uh, you know, one of our, uh, I guess, elements of our, of our mission is to uh, bring a cure. And so we, we do, as other companies also in the field have, uh, we, uh, we do spend a significant amount of our efforts trying to uh, bring forward the cure. Mm-hmm. And, and you're quite a robust pharmaceutical company. Your portfolio consists of 17 prescription medications in the human immunodeficiency virus or HIV space which is amazing. Yes, and we, I think that's, what, that's one thing we're, we're aiming at. I think that uh, we want to bring, um, although, uh, you know, HIV uh, seems like, you know, one disease, but a disease with different declinations in different patients, right? Everybody has their different history, different needs, and uh, that's why we're trying to have a number of different um, uh, regimens, if you want, to... Um, so that um, the the physicians have all the the possible options to to help their patients. Right, because as you say, one might work for one patient, but may not work for another. So you have a variety of treatment options uh, for patients with HIV. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. And what's happening, uh, the the reason also why we need to have more options is that, you know, it, it's a it's a virus, and we've seen maybe if we uh, if we make a comparison to uh, what happened with the with COVID, for example, we've seen that over time the virus uh, has evolved. Uh, we've had, for example, in Canada, very um, a very very good vaccination campaign. Yet, um, you know, there's variants that have appeared that can bypass uh, the vaccine. So the the truth is the same with HIV. There's no vaccine, but for the treatment. Uh, for most patients, for for most patients, if you take your your initial treatment well, in the majority of the cases, that will be sufficient to maintain the, the virus in check. But in certain cases, uh, there, there's possibility that the virus can evolve resistance against the treatment. Then you need an, another option to uh, help these patients control the virus. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this allows your, your treatment options allow people to live with the condition, uh, being treating it as a chronic condition that you don't have the cure just yet. Is that a fair statement? Yes. Yeah. You, that, that's a very fair, uh, statement. Um, as a matter of fact, now, uh, we, we see in, in the, the countries where there's a, a good, um, a good access to the medication, a good, um, healthcare system that uh, more or less the, uh, the HIV patients live, uh, the, the people living with HIV, when they're properly treated, they, they live uh, more or less a, a normal, healthy life as long as they, uh, you know, they, they maintain, uh, they, they keep taking their drugs. Absolutely. Well, that's awesome. 
It's excellent information. Thank you so much. Thank you for raising our awareness about this and for all of the great work that you're doing at Vive Healthcare. Thank you very much, Maureen. It's been um, it's been a great pleasure, and I'm very happy to you know see that um, you know you're putting back uh, you know HIV testing you know at, at the forefront because. Um, as, as a country, we've put uh, the, the Canadian government has put uh, objectives to, and uh, as, as set forth by the uh, World Health Organization, to bring uh, the epidemic to an end. Uh, with set objectives to have by uh, 2030, to have you know 90% of the the people uh, that have the infection aware of their status, 90% of these people knowing their status being treated, and another 90% of those treated to be fully suppressed. And that's, uh, I guess, the, one of the, the key global efforts that, that is being made to bring the epidemic to an end. And this starts with testing. You've got you've to test, identify, and treat people. And that's the, the, one of the, the most important ways we're going to be able to uh, bring this epidemic to an end. A great three-pronged approach. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you coming on the show. For more information, you can go to vivehealthcare.com, V-I-I-V, healthcare.com. Thank you so much uh, for being on the show, Jean-Francois Fortin. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. Have a great evening. You got questions, she's got answers. The nurse is in for Nurse Talk. Welcome to the second hour of the Sunday Night Health Show. In this hour, we're going to be talking a bit about grief. Um, Everybody has experienced it, or most people, shall I say, maybe some children have yet to. I remember when I was a child and realizing that my grandfather was not coming back. It was impossible. You know, it was just like, hmm. Um, and then of course I've had other experiences, uh, with grief, sadly enough in my lifetime. And one of the listeners wrote in that his son died at the age of 29. It must've been multiple years ago, many years ago, uh, because of tainted blood. His name was Kevin George Foster Robertson. He was his firstborn and left behind a wife and a four-year-old son. Obviously, um, grief has struck that person as well. And many, many listeners, I am sure people who've been in relationships, married for a number of years, and then to lose their, the one they love, um, you know, it's, it's life changing. So we're going to be talking about that. Um, but right now, uh, we're going to be talking about mental fitness and positive intelligence. You know, we bring our mental health to everywhere we go, (laughs) whether it be work or in your uh, personal relationships uh, at home, or if you're dating out on the dating scene, you know, many different places. And so these things are very important in terms of success, self-esteem, and much more, which we're going to learn about from my guest who joins me on the line, Dr. Tomi Mitchell, who's a medical doctor in wellness and performance. She empowers lawyers, doctors, and other professionals to reduce burnout and overwhelm so that they can increase productivity in the workplace, this information is not limited to lawyers, doctors, and other professionals. This is for everybody. Good evening, Dr. Mitchell. Good evening, Maureen. How are you this evening? I'm fine, thank you. Nice to have you back on the program. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be back. Now, I was so 
uh, happy, shall I say, <laughs> for lack of a better word at this minute, um, to read your article on LinkedIn. I'm, I'm usually pretty active on LinkedIn, but I've taken a small break in the last little while. Um, <laughs> my area, my focus has been elsewhere, but um, yeah. I'm glad that you're very active on LinkedIn. And I was very interested in the article that you had written about positive intelligence and strong mental fitness. And, you know, I think that's important in so many aspects of life and in particular when people go to work or, you know, we're working so that we can improve our lives and, you know, put food on the table basically and, and, and perhaps advance uh, as well and maybe to have a, a better life. But, and so I don't think people realize the connection between uh, positive intelligence, strong mental fitness, self-esteem, all of those kinds of things, you know, the ability to say no, discipline is another big one that can help to improve you know, one's bottom line, you know, in particular financially. So many people have issues with finances in life and, and in terms of whether they mismanage their finances or they take a look at it in April and then again in July, and then there's a lot of shame around money and that kind of thing. And then there's this embarrassment and there are these vicious cycles that can occur because of finances or how we feel about ourselves or, or what image we're trying to portray to the world who really isn't looking at us. <laughs> They're looking at themselves or thinking of themselves anyway. So I'd like to talk to you more about positive intelligence and strong mental fitness and how they can improve one's bottom line uh, financially at work. Yeah. Thank you, Maureen. Um, so positive intelligence, mental fitness is for all. And it doesn't matter who you are, whether you're a stay-at-home mom or you run a Fortune 500 company. I tell my clients, as long as you have this heart and the mind, you need to make mental fitness a priority. And one beautiful thing about it is that mental fitness is not diagnosis-based. For example, we think of mental health, we think of depression, we think of anxiety. Mental fitness is very similar to what we talk about physical fitness. So what is mental fitness in a nutshell? It is a measure of how quickly you can shift from negative to positive responses to challenges. I'm sure you've met people when maybe you've been through an experience yourself, and I've definitely been there because we're all humans, is, you know, something negative happens and you find yourself stuck in a rut for a, period, a longer period of time than you would. And that likely is a reflection of one's mental fitness. Um, and you also mentioned positive intelligence, which is like a research which basically looks at the root levels of performance and well-being, which is an area that I am very passionate about because, this, like you said, impacts our personal and professional lives. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've all had those experiences. I had one recently where, <laughs> and, and it can be short term. It doesn't have to be this long term going from staying in a negative rut to a positive. But, you know, I felt I, I'd invited somebody to something. They they declined. They said no. And and I felt that they really wanted to go but needed more encouragement. And I didn't encourage them more. I mean, it sounds like a ridiculous thing. <laughs> but I remember thinking, oh, you know, and when I got to the place, I thought, oh, I should have pushed them more. And, you know, uh, I wish they were here. And, you know, somebody else that I invited, they turned up and it, you know, turned out to be a wonderful experience. And, um, you know, and I was in my head about it 
And then as it turned out, they were absolutely fine, you know, of not going, they'd had an appointment and, and whatever, but I was kind of beating myself up. So do we beat ourselves up when our mental fitness is, you know, wavering, if you will? 100%. So when we beat ourselves up, we're, we're, so we're working in the left side of our brain, which is um, where what we call saboteurs are. So this is where we're hyper judgmental of ourselves. We're critical of ourselves. You know, the traits of being a people pleaser or hyper achiever. This is where those traits lie. So, you know, most people, on a good day, when we're both at our, you know, best optimal mental fitness, one will be like, okay, no big deal. Like, you know, water off a duck's back. Okay, they'll, they're fine. They'll come back and not think about it. But the, for various reasons, various times of our lives, we mull over it. We overthink it. We overanalyze it, which actually takes away from the enjoyment of that event you would have gone to or event that, you know, listeners have gone to, right? So, unfortunately, that's part of the human experience. However, it shouldn't be our default response to stressors and we shouldn't stay in those feelings for very long. And the ability to switch quickly, recognize a negative thought, a negative thought pattern and turn to something positive, also called a sage, which is on the right side of the brain, where that operates, the better it is, the more fit you are. And so how can being... um strong mentally or have, you know, strong, we have strong physical fitness. Uh, how can strong mental fitness improve focus and attention? Well, strong mental fitness enables you to find a clear pathway within the forest. So many times we get stuck in looking at the individual trees instead of being able to stop, pause and look straight ahead. Um, strong mental fitness helps you find opportunities and challenges. Right. Whereas most people are like, oh, man, this sucks. And they'll mull about it and, you know, you know, commiserate with their friends. Some with high mental fitness will be like, OK, yeah, this is happening. This is an opportunity for us to test the system, try something new or whatever the option C, D, E, F, G. So strong mental fitness makes a difference between those who achieve high success, both personally and professionally. And they also maintain it versus those who continuously, you know, fail to meet their expectations and, you know, continuously meet different disappointments. So it's, hmm. it's very, very important. And, and how does it relate to distractions? I mean, I think in the world today, we have so many distractions, even my thinking about, you know, overthinking the fact that, you know, I wish I was able to talk these people into coming to this. <laughs> um, that was distracting, you know, it was distracting for the, for me, for enjoying the event. And it was, you know, distracting for my, you know, whether I was fully present there as well. And then it was distracting later. I mean, honestly, it took me like two to three days to stop thinking about it and then being, <laughs> and then talking to them again and, you know, them putting my mind at ease. I mean, it took up so much time for such a small thing. Yes. You know, really great example. So basically having that higher level of mental fitness, being able to tune out the distractions helps you focus, right? In that situation, for various reasons, you know, it took a lot of your mental energy. It, it took from it took from you to be able to enjoy the event you went to. It was on your mind for one or two or three days. Now imagine if you hadn't had a chance to speak to that person for months or years. Maybe you would have carried that, you know, guilt or, you know, feelings in your mind, which is 
again, causing you stress. And we know what stress does. We talked about this many times on the show. Stress leads to inflammation. And that's like the root cause of so many diseases. So something that may seem so small has an impact to be so powerful. And that's why it's important for everyone to recognize the importance of the mental fitness and take steps today and every day to address it. Absolutely. And, you know, sometimes we can overbook and I've been known to overbook myself. <laughs> Me too. I've more, done that. More, more than once. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I and I took on too much. And, you know, I, and I could tell like like I should not have taken this on. I should have said no. Sometimes I have a hard time saying no. Um, and and I didn't do great at it. I, I have to admit, in fact, I did what I think was horrible. <laughs> But, you know, and so every time I'm triggered by that, <laughs> so I'll see something and I'll be like, oh, it reminds me of that time. Again, it's distracting. Instead of my thinking, just don't do that again. Learn from the experience. Move on. Forget it. That's the healthiest approach, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. My guest is Dr. Tomi Mitchell. We're talking about mental fitness. Um which helps to improve your focus and attention. It can improve the bottom line at work. And it's a good idea to attain strong mental fitness. If you have a question or a comment, the number to call or text is 1-877-399-9898. That's 1-877-399-9898. Now, Dr. Mitchell, thanks so much for staying on the line. Uh, My pleasure. question about attaining strong mental fitness uh, isn't it already done <laughs> by the time somebody is 25, 30, 40? Does it not relate to their adverse childhood events or ACEs? Um, does somebody's history relate to their mental fitness? And, and can it be improved if they're somebody who has a traumatic history or um, you know issues along the way, uh, yeah. other mental health issues as well? That is an amazing question. Um, So definitely our mental fitness, the way we see, live, interpret life is largely due to our early childhood experiences, without a doubt. But the good thing is, is a thing called neuroplasticity, which says that we can rewire the brain and change our perceptions, our emotional response, despite having had traumatic experiences. Um, I do want to just do a quick definition of mental health and mental fitness because the it's, there's a difference. So okay. again, this, um, so mental health is generally the absence of illness, right? Mental illness, like depression, schizophrenia, et cetera. But mental fitness is where you have positive mental habits, regardless of whether you have a mental illness or not. So you can have mental fitness and still be diagnosed with depression. You can have mental fitness and still be diagnosed with anxiety. However, um, just because you don't have a mental health condition quote, diagnosed doesn't mean you're mentally fit. Uh, right. So I know that's a lot. Hopefully people can listen to the replay and kind of get let that sink in. So mental health is about the state of mind, while mental fitness is about the ability to handle life ups and downs with grace, ease, and confidence. So that is really, really important. You know, there are people that don't have a, a diagnosis, but they are not doing well as far as their mental fitness is concerned. And that's why it's so important. And you mentioned the C word confidence. I think it's, you know, it's the sexiest thing about people. Oh, people who have self-confidence and it makes sense because if you're self-confident, you can make better decisions and you can decide, no, I'm not going to do this. I am going to do that. 
I don't care what people are saying about me. I'm still going to pursue whatever. Um, yeah. Mental f- fitness can also enhance creativity and innovation. And that's important in the workplace. Is that not yeah. correct? 100%. Um, you wonder why in some places, some people tend to do better, get more promotions. Now, minus all the bad stuff that happens in workplaces, like discrimination, genderism, gender, you know, all that stuff. But generally, somebody who has strong mental fitness, high mental fitness, is able to find creative solutions instead of focusing on the problem. They are able to proactively anticipate challenges so the company can perhaps veer this way or veer that way. So mental fitness is crucial. And you can have mental fitness whether you're born in a poor family, a rich family, you know, you had an abusive upbringing or maybe not an abusive upbringing. Mental fitness is for all and does not discriminate based on your past. And I think that discipline, I mean, anybody can acquire discipline and decide I'm going to exercise every single day, whether it be a 30 minute walk or or lifting weights or hula hooping or or whatever it is, swimming, biking, skiing, any, any type of fitness. So they can decide that exercise, you know, that they're going to do that. They can work before play. Um, you know, that instead of play before work, we have a lot of people doing that. Um, you know, I, I think it's just about deciding this is going to be the life for me. I'm going to go to bed at the same time and wake up at the same time every single day is that I would imagine would also help with, um, increased resilience, which is, you know, akin to strong mental fitness because we all have stress and adversity in our lives. But from what I, from what you're saying, I understand this to be, it helps us to deal with life's ups and downs just that much better. Yes. So mental fitness is at the initial point of recognizing, okay, this is happening. I don't like it. And then responding in a positive way instead of dwelling on it. So it's before that, like before it comes out of the bag, like I recognize, okay, this is a feeling. It is just a feeling that little nagging voice. I don't need to take it any further than where it's and then where it is right now and then change and pivot. So mental fitness is you don't see it, but you see, you can definitely tell when someone doesn't have it, put it that way. And you can be physically fit and lack mental fitness. There are a lot of very physically fit individuals who would pour squirrely on testing for their mental fitness. Exactly. And I was talking to a friend um, and she's in business with her spouse. (laughs) And she said that the spouse is, you know, uh, it doesn't sound like the spouse is mentally fit. And the spouse makes a lot of mistakes and Mm -hmm. because of ego, we get the ego involved. I don't think the ego is involved when you have strong mental fitness or so much. Exactly. Ego ego is like, it's, it's empathy. It's creativity. It's innovation. The ego is about self, self preservation. Exactly. And so her spouse is about self. And so she was constantly saying, I'm, I'm so tired of making the same costly mistakes because of her spouse's ego. Um, mm-hmm. So having strong mentally fit uh, employees can help actually help companies avoid costly mistakes and maintain an organize or an organization's financial stability. So it, it's good all around. Yeah. Unfortunately, we're up against the clock, Dr. Mitchell, <laughs> oh. but we'll get you back next week. This is a great subject. Thank you so much, Maureen. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Health Show. If you have ever lost somebody that you loved, you probably have experienced grief. 
you know what it is. Oftentimes people say it's like the tides of the ocean. The tide comes in, the tide goes out. You get waves of grief. It's the response to loss, particularly to the loss of someone or some living thing that has died. It can be a person, a loved one, a spouse, a parent, a dog. Although conventionally focused on the emotional response to loss, grief also has physical, cognitive, behavioral, social, cultural, spiritual, and philosophical dimensions. Joining me on the line to talk about this is none other than Dr. June Hall. She's affectionately known as Dr. June and is the founder of Time to APT, Accentuate Positive Thinking, which facilitates personal and professional development workshops. She's also a nationally syndicated advice columnist with Tribune Content Services, a public speaker, and host of her own YouTube Cooking Up Advice Show. And she joins me on the line. Good evening, Dr. June. Good evening. Happy so nice night. to have you. Yes, thank you. Same to you. So thank nice to you have so you. Much. Now, we've all lost in some way or another and have gone through the grieving process. You yourself have a fabulous TEDx talk out there about where you talked about your loss and your approach to it, positivity to grief. Um, you suffered significant losses. Do you want to talk to the listeners about that a little bit? Well, yes, I talk about that in my TEDx. There was eight in my family, mom, dad, six siblings, and um, we lost my dad first and my sister, and then I lost my brother, sister, mom, mother-in-law in like a year span. And so that oh. was um, a big loss. So it was just, now it's my, myself, my brother, and my sister, three of us. And we talk about, you know, we've been through some things. So that, that was um, a really big deal. But what I had to do, because my sister um, and my mom, they were probably the closest to me that really, really shook me hard. I had to think about the positive things and how to go on. And a lot of times we get trapped in that grief. And we have, and it's, you know, it's normal. We're we're supposed to cry. You know, as you mentioned, we get waves. That's normal. So don't think, oh, no, I'm just supposed to move forward and be happy. But we are supposed to move forward and be happy, (laughs) even though that's Mm -hmm. not the only thing that we're supposed to do. (laughs) Because our loved ones would not want us to 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 sit in um, the grief of their loss. But it's so difficult. And, and I suppose the loss, the type of loss that one experienced, and I'm so sorry for all of your losses, which to me seem incredible. I'm one of six as well. And I mean, you know, to lose a sibling. I, I remember a, a neighbor of ours, she was 93 years old when I was growing up. And, and I remember her sobbing and she came out Actually, she lived to 93. She was about 88. And she came out to the uh, neighborhood and she said, I just lost my baby sister. And she was sobbing. And I, I remember that so vividly from my childhood, you know, to lose a sibling, in particular a sister. So, so difficult, so challenging. Um, I, I have a few things to ask you about grief and about life and death and moving on. But how important is closure for people um, to? to sometimes people pass away, die uh, without any notification whatsoever. Other times they may suffer with a 
long-term diagnosis, for example, stage four cancer, for example, they may suffer for a year or two and, and you may have time. Um, so how important is that closure for people? Closure, even if you don't have time, can be done even after the loss. Uh, for example, um, my dad and my sister, those were sudden. Those were unexpected. And so afterwards, though, you can have your own personal um, time of grief where you can actually write what it is that you would have said or done prior to their death had you known in advance. So that is a way. And there is um, a psych group, Gestalt, where they actually do the empty chair, where you talk to an empty chair as if that person is still there. And so to get it out of your system. So you, you can still find closure even afterwards. And okay. it's important to remember that while people are still here, to let go of the anger, to let go of animosity, because you never know the minute or the hour. And so you have to remember to find peace with your family members, your loved ones, whoever, so that you won't be in a situation where you feel like you had not had the chance to find closure. But again, you can do it afterwards. That That is, you know, it's important for you to realize that, that you do not have to go on holding on to thinking, oh, my God, I never did, because, you know, their spirit still lives on, and that helps you. Mm-hmm. You're, you're so right. You never do know the minute or the hour of somebody's passing. And, and even physicians have, mm-hmm. we as a society have very, uh, we're, it's very difficult, very challenging, and we typically don't talk about death and dying. I know that physicians have a very mm-hmm. hard time as well talking about death and dying mm-hmm. to their patients and, and nurses as well, because, you know, they are to treat and to cure. And that's basically what they are all about. Um, there is a physician. And in Western well, culture, Maureen. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, no, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say in, in Western culture, we also don't believe in grieving for any length of time. It's like, okay, move on. You know, you lost a spouse. Okay, it's time for you to get back on the horse. That is, you know, in our society, that's how afraid we are of death and dying that we don't even take the time to grieve. But I'm sorry to interrupt. You were saying about the doctor. No, no. no that's a great point. Um, well, I was just saying that I know how challenging it is for physicians to speak to patients about death and dying and hospice has a bad name if you will a lot of people are under the false impression that hospice is you know associated or synonym for death um but it's actually more associated more so associated with quality of life um so there's work by i don't know if mm-hmm. you know the work by a dr atol gawand he's actually a writer and a physician mm-hmm. and he's changed his practice um, as a result of this, as a result of his own father's uh, death, dying and death, essentially, and how it's, you know, what does a good day look like to those people who uh, know that they're going to die, um, but, you know, so that it's not a sudden death. So how do we make, uh, you know, a person's life as uh, good as possible toward the end? Um, you know, in, in fact, improving end of life care for people. And he has a, a great book called Being Mortal. Um, medicine and what matters most in the end. Um, so, but it's, it. why don't we talk about death? 
and dying? Why are we so uncomfortable with this? We're all going to face that. Uh, nobody is immune to that yet, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Correct. Because it is um, such a sad topic, and we try not to deal with or face that sadness. Even putting wills together, people don't even do that because they're like, oh, if I put the will together, that means that it's coming too soon. These is, this is sometimes the psychology that people go through. But because they are feeling like they want to live. And so I, I don't want to talk about anything sad. Not realizing that when you do talk about something sad or talk about death, talk about grief, that it's actually a healing process. Because you can talk about, okay, this is um, how I want you to feel. This is how I want you to cope. And then when that person is gone, you don't feel like such a struggle because it's like, oh, my gosh, as you said, maybe I haven't found closure. But if you talk about it, then you can have that type of closure and you can have that type of comfort rather than living in the fear of the unknown. Absolutely. That is such a great point. I, I want to refer back again to your fabulous TEDx talk, Positivity Through Grief. And I'd like to go to break. And when we come back, I would like to talk about how people can be positive and apply your techniques when they suffer a significant loss. I am Maureen McGrath. My guest is Dr. June Hall. We're talking about grief and you are listening to the Sunday Night Health Show. Welcome back. You're listening to the Sunday Night Health Show. I'm Maureen McGrath. My guest is Dr. June Hall. We're talking about positivity through grief, and that happens to be the name of her fabulous TEDx talk. Thank you so much for staying on the line, Dr. June. Really appreciate it. My pleasure. Now, some people deal with grief in certain ways. Some people may internalize it. Some people may be uh, very expressive about it, very upset. Some people might get depressed. Um, there's chronic grief. Um, some people may be relieved that somebody is not suffering any longer, but at the end of the day, I think sadness is the carry on sadness is at the core of the loss of somebody that you love or care about, whether it be a human being or a pet, you know, pets are underfoot. They never want anything from you. They just want to wag their tail. They don't want money. They might want a little bit of food <laughs> here and there, but you know, they are with you side by side. So a lot of people suffer grief. Um, with the loss of a pet. Also, um, you know, people who in long-term relationships, long-term marriages, you know, you're with somebody for 45 years. And, you know, as you said in your TEDx talk, how do you call your mother and say that uh, your father has died? And I, I use that word died. I prefer it to past myself, but um, because that's what it is. Um, but it's hard to think. And, and I've had significant losses in my life. I lost one of my closest friends and my approach was I, I hit the bed for three days and just sobbed and sobbed. Um, I, you know, couldn't even speak to anybody. I mean, it's so upsetting. And, um, you know, so we all, but I've had different responses to other losses since that time. Um, so we, we deal very differently with it. But you're suggesting through some of your techniques, apting, that we can be positive or have a positive attitude through grief. Tell me a little bit about that. Well, I think that your approach, what you did, was stay in the bed and cry for three days. That's actually healthy. Um, as I mentioned before, we sometimes do not allow ourselves to grieve. So allowing ourselves to grieve is actually a positive thing. 
and not try to just jump back and start feeling better and overcome the sadness because it's never going to go away. So that's actually very good. The first thing is to allow yourself to grieve. And the second thing is with, it's excellent. The second thing (laughs) with positivity is to remember the positive things. Sometimes we get so caught up in the sadness that we forget about, oh, you know what, this person was really good for me because now, you know, they taught me this. And so those are the things that I thought about when I think about my family who I lost. I think about the things that my sister taught me, the things that my dad taught me, and I'm like, you know what, I'm going to live life to the fullest and do those things that they taught me because they would want me to. So that's another positive that we, another way to do it in a positive way. Um, And the next way to do it in positivity is to think about what is it that they would want me to accomplish and go on rather than living in sadness. If they were here, if they're looking down for me, as people say, they're looking down and watching, what, how would they want me to live my life, (laughs) okay? And Mm -hmm. so that is the three ways that, I believe that a person can positively get through grief. Mm-hmm. Some people might feel deal with guilty. It. Yeah, some people might feel guilty with that last mm-hmm. one about um, moving on and living a good life. And I have mm-hmm. another question too that I that I want to get to, um, especially if people have mm-hmm. suffered guilt or have suffered depression. That's often a, a sign a sign or a symptom of depression. Mm-hmm. Um, how mm-hmm. about people who deal with it by staying busy? They delay the grief. Will it eventually well up? It will definitely well up. And I believe that if you are dealing with some type of guilt, maybe you um, were not nice to the person and then that person passed on, whatever the case may be that makes you feel that way, then you need to go to a professional, as I said, to do some of the techniques that that are dealt with with grief because that is something that you probably cannot deal with on your own. So you may need additional help, someone to talk to you about whatever that specific problem is so that you can go on. But in general, if you are not facing something um, that seriously happened before that person died that you feel guilty and you feel like I can't go on, then those are the tips that that I would use that I share with you. And so some people do need grief counseling is what you're suggesting. Yes, because if you're in a situation where you feel like you can't go on or, as I said, something happened, and I don't know the term, Maureen, what's the term, like the ones who survive, is it survival guilt? Is that what they're yeah, called? Yes, survivor guilt. It's called survivor when something guilt, happens, yes. you live. Yeah, you definitely may need to have someone to talk to to help you get through that. Mm-hmm. And what you forget this is just like a short-term counseling. (laughs) What you forget is you survived for a reason. And you say, well, why did I survive? Why did that happen? You survived for a reason. And so take advantage of the life that you have. Instead of living in that guilt-ridden state, take advantage that you are alive and do something good with your life. Absolutely. I, I had a patient who, um, her mom died very shortly after her third child was born. And so she had three children under about age three or four, and she was severely depressed and down and just felt tremendously guilty about moving forward. 
And then a very close aunt said to her, uh, your mother would not have wanted you to live this way. And anyone who's been loving in your life, um, and no life is perfect mm-hmm. and none of us are perfect and we all, you know, do things we wish mm-hmm. we hadn't. Um, but uh, nobody who has been a loving force in your life would ever want you mm-hmm. to suffer. And and so she said that that, mm-hmm. that gave mm-hmm. her tremendous comfort. Um, do things like... Um, you know, spirituality and faith and maybe seeing signs um, from people. I remember when I, when I lost a a really close aunt and I was flying home and the clouds had never looked more beautiful. And she was quite an amazing decorator and just did everything with flair. And I I really have never seen clouds look this way on the flight home. And then, then something came up, a poem came up on my um, computer that, you know, the poem called As I Sit in Heaven. And I thought, oh, she's watching over me. She's here now. Is that the kind of thing that can comfort people? Are those things real? Do we look for those? What are those all about? (laughs) I don't think that we have to look for them. I'm definitely a faith-based person. And after my dad died, I had three dreams about him. In fact, I'm actually having a conference come up, and this is one of the stories I'm going to tell, that I had three dreams about my dad after he he passed away. And in the third dream, third and final dream, he said to me, I know, I wish I can, um, but I can't. And it was like, because he would pray for me, and um, if I wanted to get out of a situation, like if I was dating someone, I would, my, mom, my mom would be like, let's go tell, let's tell dad so he can get you out of this. <laughs> it was just like funny. <laughs> and so he was like, you know, you have to take care of yourself. And so when he said it, it was, and it was like, that was so powerful to me. And I got up that same morning and, and, and prayed for myself. As he said, you know, you have to pray for yourself. And so that was powerful for me. It's like, okay, you know what? I know that I can't, but you have to what? Move forward and live your life. And so that is something that I did. And that's why I try to live life to the fullest. And so, as I said, if we really believe that they're looking down on us, if we really believe that their spirit is with us, we have to think about what do you want them to see us doing? <laughs> you know, don't, you want them to see us living our life to the fullest and doing something good with our life because we still have life to live. Truer words were never spoken. Dr. Hall, thank you so much, Dr. June Hall, for um, teaching us about grief and um your fabulous TEDx talk, APTing, um, your accentuating positive thinking and positivity through grief, which is the name of, of your TEDx talk. Where can p- people get more information about you, Dr. June? Um, they can go directly to my website, drjunehall.com, V-R-J-U-N-E-H-A-L-L. And you can hit me up with any questions or anything that um, I can do to help support them. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Really appreciate that. Thanks for listening to the Sunday Night Health Show podcast. You can subscribe, rate, or review on your favorite podcast app. And if you've got a question about your health, the nurse is always in. So email me, nursetalk at hotmail.com, and I just might answer your question anonymously, of course, on next week's show. For now, have a happy and healthy week.